McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bombay fans, and welcome to your forecast episode 123. Well, six games without a win. When will the Blues get three points? During the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, buddy. Yeah, always good to be here. Not too bad. Thank you. Cracking through the week. Some good Pompey results to keep us feeling good. Uh, it doesn't get any better, really, does it? It's a classic mid-season PO forecast with a lot of uh, pretty grumpy people. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, we're all Pompey fans, aren't we, Andy? So uh, we're used to a little bit of turbulence. But uh, joining us on the podcast again is Freddie Webb. How are you, mate? Yeah, yeah, not so bad, Hugh. Thank you. Yeah, what a strange week. Um, I was on a podcast for the Sunderland game on Roker Report, and we recorded it before Tuesday's game. A lot of my opinions, redundant and out of date, probably. Um, and there are also some of the things that I mentioned, which are pretty pertinent with today's news and so on. So I, we're going to go over it a lot. I think, Fred, a lot of the time, the things that we say are pretty out of date or irrelevant by the time we've even finished recording the podcast. Some would argue they're not relevant in the first place, to be fair. Yeah, no, I think it'll be interesting to hear Freddie's prediction of us slamming Sunderland 7-1 on the Roker Report. Go and give that a listen. It, it wasn't well. that bad, but I think from memory, it was sort of win, which is looking very unlikely at the moment. <laughs> well, it's good to have some positivity around. Join us well, Sam Stone. How are you, Sam? All right, guys. Yeah, nice to be joining you again. Um, for some reason, my dad and I decided to drive up to Burton last night. Um, didn't get back to 1am, got out of the car, both looked at each other and went, what the hell do we do that for? But um, yeah, not exactly the best game to to make the journey up there with no fuel as well. But we managed that's to get a, there. And, yeah, That's a massive waste of valuable petrol. Family. Yeah, I know. We've wasted all that fuel to see bloody Pompey lose 2-1 to Burton. But yeah, it'd be good to have a chat about Pompey again with you guys. No, it'd be good to hear from you, mate. And a uh, rumour is that you managed to pinch some of that fuel off a neighbour by siphoning it out of their tank to get up there. So fair play. That's dedication to the cause on a Tuesday oh, night. <laughs> There's priorities, mate. Burton away is one of them. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's get into it. First of all, we're going to review the game against Charlton. Following on from that, we're going to talk about the devastating loss to Burton. Then we spoke to you guys and we said, the question out there, and thanks again, everyone, for messaging in. It's appreciated. It makes the show. And we said... Is it the system that needs to change or is it just the personnel aren't strong enough? And finally, we speak to Graham from What The Fork podcast to preview the game, the dreaded upcoming fixture on Saturday against Sunderland. Right, let's go. Let's start this off with Charlton. So I was there at the Charlton game. Good away day. Bumped into many of you guys listening, actually. And apologies if I can't remember speaking to some of you because I'd had quite a few beers. So I know some few people got in touch and I could barely remember the conversations we had but I'm sure there were some awesome ones on the train on the way back etc but 
the actual day out, first of all, I'm going to say, was a right laugh. Partying at London Bridge, 3,000 Pompey fans on a big old away day. And Charlton is one of the good ones in this league to go away for. So cracking it off with a little bit of positivity, boys, because it was a good atmosphere. And the game started off pretty well. Great ball through from Romeo. Goes through, slides the ball through to Ronan Curtis. You think there's only one thing that can happen here. And he scores a goal. Andy, I want to know what you thought when that goal went in with Ronan Curtis. Did you think this is the time where Pompey are going to pick up a win against a pretty poor Charlton side? Yeah, exactly. It was almost taking the piss a little bit because it was the one week that Fred and myself haven't predicted a goal from Ronan Curtis on his right foot cutting in from the left. So he waited for us not to predict it and then uh, decided to make us look like idiots. But I guess that doesn't actually take a huge amount sometimes. Uh, But yeah, you're thinking... This is exactly what we spoke about last week on the pod in terms of Charlton are there to be got at. If we can get on top of goal early, was it Lewis last week said the crowd would get on um, on Adkins' back and it was all absolutely going to plan and the crowd did get on Adkins' back. It was an absolutely toxic atmosphere against you know a manager that we don't have the best feelings for for, for obvious reasons. And yeah, the game was there for us to really stamp our authority on it and I'm sure we're going to move on to why we weren't able to do that in the second half. But the first 45 or so was exactly the script that kind of predicted and we had hoped that the match would follow and just couldn't quite, again, keep it going over more than 45 minutes in a match. But uh, yeah, absolute banger of a goal from Curtis, wasn't it? Absolute worldy. Yeah, it was an absolute beauty. And at the time, I remember I sort of fell down one of the rows in front and partying with everyone you know around me at the time of... I've looked down and only a few days later, the mass bruises all over my shins come out from celebrating the, you know, hitting your knees against the seats and in front of you. And the first 45 really was a real good performance. Generally, I mean, I was really happy with how a team played. I thought you, the only thing I was regretting is if we didn't get more than one goal, you know, we're one nil up. And sometimes when you go at a team, Sam, you just have to get more than one goal when you're on top. Yeah. I, I didn't actually make it to Charlton, but, my when my dad messaged me, he's, the first text he sent, he said we were all over him. And by the sounds of it, if we'd gone two two up or three up at half time, it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been maybe it would have actually flattered Charlton somewhat. And obviously, I was that big chance with Marquis. Uh, I, I don't really know what he was doing. The first touch, he should have sidetracked into the net. He's kind of like scuffed it, and we've seen that so many times with him. And and that's obviously a crucial moment. If you go and tune it up. Um, it's a completely different game but I will say one thing the, the first goal I think that's an epitome of what Danny Cowley's trying to kind of install in this team you know the, the, uh, we had Raggett being comfortable on the ball in the back playing the ball into midfield Tunnicliffe incisive passing on the floor going forward and then Romeo again and then Curtis being direct and scoring a really good goal I mean it was an, a really top tier finish but I think the build up play for that goal needs to be kind of uh, that needs to be noted as well because it was really good build-up play and it's what we've been trying to see. Well, it's what we've been trying to do throughout the whole season, not necessarily come off all the time. But yeah, that was that first half in particular against Charlton, I think it's a real positive to take because there hasn't been that many positives at the moment. No, and after a couple of 2-2 draws, I thought, right, here we are. You know, we're playing on top. Charlton, the fans are on their back. Here we are, let's get it. And Freddie, just talking about that John Marquis miss again. Yeah. It's just it's just one of those things, isn't it? When I think when a striker is 
out of form and poor. Can you can you put it down to that one of those will eventually go in? Because how many times can we say that on this podcast that eventually something's going to hit him? I think Danny Cowley said one has to go in off his leg or off his shin. But that's what I sort of say when a striker's playing well and getting unlucky when he's hitting the post or when a goalkeeper makes a worldy save or something like that. But at the moment, John Marquis is just he's just not got it, has he? He's been very inconsistent, as he, I would say. He's had some games where I thought, oh, he, I can see why he's starting ahead of others, despite his bad goal-scoring record. But in some games, he's been nowhere near it. <clears throat> and it's not even that he's had a ridiculously high XG overall in all competitions. I mean, it's 1.93 and he scored one goal. So it's not, it's not even that he's getting into positions all the time and missing them like many people would expect from when managers keep on saying, oh, it has to, he has to get a goal at some time, you know. Um, but but it was just poor execution. Um, the cross was hit low and hard at him, fair enough. But if it, it, I don't know why he didn't take it side-footed on a strong foot, even if, it, even if it might have gone a bit central. I would have preferred that rather than it, it rather than basically going off his right foot onto his left, then a poor touch, then he then he's having to shift in, and then he's on his wrong foot, and he scuffs it wide, and ugh, it was a waste of a chance. And then obviously Charlton punished Pompey thereafter um, with a cute little set play from the training ground. Uh, it, it was obviously a lovely finish by Claire, but if someone had covered him, it wouldn't have had the opportunity anyway. And that's been the main trend with Portsmouth at the moment. Every single mistake they're making individually I think and systematically to a certain extent they're being punished every single time and Pompey aren't doing that to their opposition and it's very frustrating do you want to play the guess the XG for that Marcus shot that he missed yeah yeah the lame game show and Fred this is some sort of game show I've got to put some sort of jingle in haven't I don't worry people listening are going to hear I mean, some guess the XG jingle which is going to be a it's Andy's favourite game I can it's tell a very, it's a very thin line between adding in a jingle and just cutting it completely from the final edit but we'll, yeah, we'll see yeah, how well, we get you on you can do if you no, want we're going to go for it Andy I mean you look so excited it looked like the same sort of face you pulled as in like do you want a beer that was the same sort of face but let's go for it you know guess the XG <laughs> Oh, hey Fred, I think you're meant to be the host, mate. This is where you start talking. Right. Sam, you look as miserable as me, by the way. <laughs> Come on, let's roll oh, this, Fred. I've, I've Come on, let's game. Where's the game? Come on. This. Guess the XG. I'm going to go with one. It's a dead cert. That, that's that's literally impossible because he missed it. I'm going with. Um, I'll go zero point seven five. Nice yeah, round number. What, 0.68 it is, but there you go. Sam? Oh, I was going to say, yeah, as close to one as you can get because my nan would have scored it. <laughs> Your nan would have scored it. Well, I, I from looking at the algorithm, I disagree with it now, but it was 0.18. The reason why, probably, it sounds very low, to be honest with you. The reason why he takes it onto his left foot and then wide, but if he, if he hits it first time, it would have been higher. But... Sorry, yeah, when is it, when is XG? I mean, I, I no, why am I asking? I'm asking a question. I don't care about the answer to here. But Fred, when is XG calculated? Then is it from his fir- after his first touch? If you pause that period of play with the ball cut back to him, just as it goes past the Charlton defender, 
No oh, way in hell is that an XG of 0.18. It, it was after the touch that he put it into a wrong position. I think it's still low anyway, but it was in, it was. I would say it was interesting rather than well accurate anyway. What you've done there is, Fred, you've undermined all the other XG stats you ever used there. You've just done <laughs> an argument, I'm afraid. <laughs> as exciting as guess the XG is, Freddie, I'm going to move us along here. So although John Marquis's finishing wasn't great in that game, there's one thing I did want to say, and Andy... I'm going to say, I know I think like I've slammed um, Hursty a little bit already on this podcast, but one thing Marcus did do well is he still presses from the front well and he sort of closes down well, uh, runs the channels and all that kind of stuff. And I do feel that when we bought Hurst on later on, he just didn't add that at all. So credit to John Marcus, all right, he can't finish, but at least he's leading the line from the front. And I sort of feel that's maybe why Danny Cowley's playing him. Yeah, I think quite possibly. You can't argue against his work ethic and I don't think he's done a, a, a terrible job by any stretch of the imagination with the ball being played up to him. If if you're looking at the system, I mean, I'm really clutching at straws here trying to find positives because we don't come on and slam players. It's not really how we do things on here. And I had him, I went off on one a little bit last week about how people are going about doing it on social media and the rhetoric they're using. So I'm desperately trying to cling on to some you know, clutch at some straws here. But yeah, as you say, the the front press still looks dangerous when we play it. We've caused Charlton issues a number of times throughout the game, particularly in the first half with the high press causing mistakes. It's just unfortunate that we are so susceptible. Like we, we can't defend against a thing we're so good at doing going forward, which is very, very odd because you'd think that if, you know, we're practicing it in attacking positions on the pitch, then the defensive players in training are getting a lot of time on the training pitch practicing against it I don't know if I worded that so it made sense but you'd think that they would but it seems to be our biggest Achilles heel as well which is yeah frustrating but back to Marquis yeah leaves the line well you cannot deny he puts a shift in every single game whatever else you want to say about him it's just it's just not happening at the moment and that chance against Charlton was sort of a microcosm of the last however many games where you just think, oh, this is the moment it turns. This is the moment it turns. Okay, no, this is the moment it turns. And it just won't turn. And it's so frustrating. And I feel so, not sorry for him, because that'd be patronising, but I feel so much sort of sympathy or empathy or whatever with him because you just, you're willing the ball into the net when it goes near him. I'm absolutely willing it just to, knock off his ass and go in the bottom corner but it's not happened yet I mean and are we now at a point where you have to rotate again it's the same conversation as last week isn't it yeah, to who though Sam I'm going to say who would you even rotate him for well this is this is the, the we all knew this in the transfer window um, especially on that deadline day that he was trying to shift out Ellis Harrison he was trying to like, I, I, I don't think Cowley is happy with Marquis I don't think he's happy with Harrison I don't think he's one who wants playing up front of course, he's got to back these players because, you know, he's got them until January at the very earliest. So it's, you know, with Mark, I was, I was going to say about Mark, Chris, I was, I was going to kind of interrupt there, but has, at any point, have we ever actually thought that Mark, Chris has been like in form at Portsmouth? Because in my opinion, it's literally been every, this, this kind of patch of form that he's going through now, it's been for the last two years. You know, there, there was maybe stretch of like six, seven games last season when he had a good run of form, then didn't score again for pretty much the whole season. You know, I could probably count on 
one hand the amount of goals he scored that have actually been good strikes that have been like the one against Crew would be one of them. That was a really good finish. But the majority of his goals have been quite scruffy, miss, miss kind of missed. Like his strikes haven't been as good as you would expect from a, a top goal scorer at this level. So it is just frustrating. I feel like the whole time he's been at Portsmouth the second time round, it's been very much a case of him just really struggling to find form the whole time. And but yeah, this was clear when the transfer window ended that Cowley wasn't happy with who he had up front, trying to shift Ellis Harrison out. I, I said in my, I did some uh, player racing yesterday and Harrison came on, but he runs around a bit, wins a few headers, but it's at the end of the day, January can't come soon enough for him and the club so they can move him on. Um, it just hasn't worked out. Again, he's had probably five, six games in a Portsmouth shirt where I've gone, yeah, he could be a good striker for us, but yeah, I know you don't want to dig players out, but it just hasn't worked. And, we just, I said this as well, if we can just get to January, see where we are and then shift this kind of deadwood that we have got up top. And I'm a bit surprised he hasn't started um, Gassan Ahadmi. He wasn't, I he was on the bench yesterday. And from what I've seen of him, he looks far more dangerous than Hurst does. And I feel like he could offer a lot more going forward than, than Hurst does. I think Hurst is just a very, like, you know, typical front man, win headers, try running, running behind. But Ahadmi looks like he's got a bit of trickery, good first touch, could finish as well. So I, I Personally, I'd like to see him come, not maybe not coming to start, but definitely be on the bench and hopefully get a chance and come on because in pre-season, he couldn't stop climbing the back of the net. I think there's a lot to pick up on from what you said there, Sam. I think with, with regards to John Marquis, I think he won he won Player of the Month end of 2020 at some point. Um, he definitely won Player of the Month, scored a few in a few, like, like five, four or five in four games, I think, mm. um, towards the end of 2020 and, yeah, struggled since. I think in terms of playing... I had me up top. It's, it sounds exciting on paper having, let's say, I had me and Curtis starting alongside each other up top. Do you think that makes us a bit potentially one-dimensional? This isn't just a Sam. This can be at anyone in terms of the strength of the players. In terms of, I mean, with with Marquis, the way we utilise him a lot of the time, or with Harrison up top, alongside the more exciting and in inverted commas player you've got sort of more than one way to skin a cat, whereas potentially, surely, if you're playing a Hadmi up there alongside Curtis, I'd say Curtis is probably the better player in the air from what I've seen. But it kind of, I think it restricts us in how we play up to those front two if we play them together. Hugh, you look like you're disagreeing with me. No, I'm just ready to talk. I just think that Hadmi, for me, is that sort of penalty box striker from the limited amount of seeing that he actually is the sort of player you want off Curtis because... Hadmi then can make those runs into the box, the runs that aren't really happening at the moment when you watch Pompey play. You, you sort of want Marquis to take a chance and, and go to the near post or, or just peel off or something. That will allow Curtis to get on the ball and dribble and, and make runs like he likes. He'll have the option to shoot. Then if someone's making a run, he'll also be taking away defenders and creating space. So I actually think that Hadmi and Curtis as a match on paper look like quite a tasty partnership that I could actually be quite excited about. What I don't think... The others seem to link up very well in a matchup basis. I would like to see that as well, actually. Mainly for something different. Cowley mentioned I had me before, where his fitness wasn't quite there. Um, his intelligence away from the penalty area, I think he mentioned, wasn't quite there, which is what why he's been working on in training, apparently. But when I saw him against Fleetwood, he played behind Marquis, which I thought was strange. But when he moved further forward into the you know the proper number nine spot with Hurst behind him. He looked like he looked like he knew where he needed to be inside the penalty area, like we mentioned. 
Uh, I don't think many players have got a divine right to start in this side at the moment, especially up front, I think. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to any changes, with, even though the problem is with Cowley changing the formation a lot, changing the personnel a lot. He's trying to find his best starting eleven, but if they can't settle on anything and the results don't turn up, it's going to be a bit worrying, I think. I was going to say, I must, I, I, I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but the change in formation, I, I do think this formation does suit Pompey quite well. Um, we've just been slightly unfortunate with the, the injuries, in, especially to Clark Robertson and Ogilvy not being fit as well. Um, I do I do quite like this formation. I, I do think at times yesterday, we at one point we had like 75% possession and I certainly enjoy watching football a lot more when the ball's passed on the floor, not just lumping it up to a big target man. And, and, and it's definitely more enjoyable to watch. And I think this formation does allow for that if the wing-backs kind of execute their plan and what they're trying to do well. Um, but I don't think we're going to talk about the formation in a bit, but with the right personnel, with Clark Robertson back, I don't know when he's be back, or even Ogilvy back in there as well. I, I do think this formation does have some legs. Right, let's just, let's just rein this in a little bit because we're sort of, we're jumping way ahead and we've got to go into this a little bit when we go into the listener questions. Oh. But what I'm going to say is on this is that against Cholton, it was one of those things that I thought, I was happy with the performance. You, know, you clap the team off, they put they put a good shift in and on another day, we could have outscored the opposition. It could have been a 4-2, even though, a 4-2 win, sorry, even though we had those defensive errors at the back and it, it is quite clear to see that is that is a big problem. I think we'll move on to the Burton game now because there are actually some good similarities of and some differences in the game. And Sam, I know you went to the game at Burton, but for me, you basically had all the all the problems of the Charlton game with none of the real benefits and none of the real attacking impetus of the game against Charlton. Do we think that's fair? That the fact that it was basically the same game in some ways, but no attacking impetus, but the same errors at the back, the same hesitation and will it make a difference when um, Ogilvy comes back into the side and shores it up is it that simple change um, for, for me anyway like obviously I didn't go to Charlton but the performance did sound like it was of a decent standard and, and again it was against the Charlton side that has been very poor um, and when you look at Burton I, I actually don't think Burton were a bad side they played with good intensity very direct but certainly put themselves about flew into tackles made life hard and when you look at their I know I saw their like expected XG. They're one of the highest performing teams in the league. So they're not a bad side. Create plenty of chances. They had like 27 shots against Lincoln on um, on Saturday. I know a lot of them come from defenders, long balls and stuff, but they, I don't think they're necessarily a really bad side. Certainly a better side than Charlton are at the moment. But yeah, for me, I, obviously I didn't see the Charlton game, so it's hard for me to comment. But at times yesterday, I thought Pompey, kind of saw out a tough first 10 minutes, but then at times we did actually knock the ball around quite well. There is just that when it gets to the final third, we we kind of resort to just punting out wide and it's a cross in that just gets cleared. And, and that's where that's where there needs to be something a little bit more creative. Um, just that someone in the middle is going to kind of drive forward or take the game to them or that little, that cute pass. And that's just been lacking a little bit. From what I saw yesterday, that's what was lacking. We just kind of resorted to crossing it in too much to Marquis, who's just not going to win headers against two big centre-halves. So when we go to look at the game, I suppose, from the basis of in a, in a micro sort of sense, I think we can fair to say that, you know, the first goal that they score, the ball gets played out to Lee Brown from Banzunu. He takes the ball down and he looks a little bit hesitant to, to what to do with it. And he ends up trying to play the ball back. The, what would be, I suppose, in his mind, the safe pass, but he underhits it. 
which ends up giving the ball away. It gets blasted back across the box and then they just drive it in from there. Do you think it's fair to say, Freddie, that that's sort of one of those things that sort of shows the hesitancy of Pompey at the moment and not quite knowing what to do with the ball and this sort of trying to play at the system, trying to play it out. But they come up against a team of Burton who just played a high intensity against us. They pressed us. And when we're not pressing from the front, well, when we're not getting that ball up the pitch and we're just sort of passing it around further at the back and in the middle of the pitch, etc., goals like this and turnovers will end up with Pompey losing the game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was a pretty horrendous defensive error. But the main reason how why playing out for the back can work, and it's the same reason why pressing could work, it relies on movement off the ball. Um, I've mentioned movement off the ball several times, countless times on this show, but it's probably, the, the for me, the main difference was either a good team and a bad team in so many ways. Um, I, didn't see, I didn't see the Burton game. Uh, but in some of the other games, where, where there wasn't enough mo- movement off the ball in and around the defensive free with the wing backs. Even though Bre- even though Brown was hesitant, there didn't seem to be any other real option for him. There was an out ball, Fred. With that, was with, there an the, out with, ball? The, with the pass he made, it was one of the centre midfielders. I think had dropped deep. There was an out ball. If he hadn't underhit it, that goal is not a systemic problem. That was. An individual mistake, passes get under hit. That was not a systemic problem. I can't remember who it was, but someone had dropped deep into the hole in front of the back uh, or the defensive line there. There there was an out ball had that first part of the trip out from our our starting third not been under hit. So that, that wasn't a systemic problem, that goal. That was just an individual mistake. And... Is that for me, that makes it very different from the second goal because I mean, we'll come on to it in a minute. That was more a systemic issue where the players weren't following the system. This was just an individual technical error for me. And that's kind of what makes it even more frustrating because we're just piling on these individual mistakes and it's getting more and more maybe difficult to see which are because of the system and which are because of the players not being able to execute the system yeah, as so, it, yeah there seems to be if it's individual errors there's no clear solution is there you've ba- as fans we've ba- there's no clear reason we've basically got to wait and watch and hope <laughs> that they don't happen again sometimes and that can be frustrating absolutely it's got to be a mixture of the two really isn't it Andy because you look at the second goal and that is a system error because yeah. the fact is the ball's played up to Romeo and there's nobody around him. He suddenly, he's pressured straight away. They know the ball's going out to him. Two players on him. I think Lee Brown ended up shouting at Freeman. I don't know if that's justified or not because he didn't give him an option on the ball. And you've got two goals there that are sort of contrasting, in my opinion, that shows the problems that Pompey have. Number one, it's that confidence and which is causing individual errors at the back. And then the second one is players not quite playing the, the formation in that sense or the system because who's giving Romeo the ball there? Sorry, the options take the ball. Cowley talks about wide triangles, give and go. Where's the midfielder dropping back in to, to give him that option to play the ball back to let him to push on? For me, they're two contrasting, very different goals, even though they've come from wing backs on either side. Yeah, 100%. The, the second goal, you said about building out triangles from the back. That was a triangle with two corners to it. The third triangle didn't turn up. And that's what happens when that third point of the triangle doesn't arrive. Whoever's got the ball gets completely crowded out by two players. In this case, Romeo. I don't blame him for the goal because he was let down by his team who didn't give him the option and he was crowded out. With the first goal, again, I'm 
I'm very reluctant to to really pile anything on Lee Brown here because he's been, as far as I'm concerned, awesome so far this season for the most part. Individual mistakes happen. It's purely because the the cumulative total of those mistakes this season is now getting so high. And as Fred alluded to earlier, I think it was Fred, we just keep being punished. Was it Fred? Yeah, it was Fred or Sam. Sam, sorry, Sam. Um, we keep being punished for every individual mistake. And yeah, the, the second goal is, for me, more of a concern because that's the players not playing to the system. Everyone's got a mistake in them. That is what it is. But the second goal for me is more annoying to concede. Can I just... Yeah, jump in. Sign. Yeah, yeah. So, like, obviously, talking about the system and and the way of playing, like, I, I look at teams like the MK Dons are a really good example because obviously they at the start when Russell Martin took over, they were trying to play this way out from the back all the time. And I think last season, at the start of last season, they played us away, and we we both their goals were for them making a mistake playing out from the back. But they persisted with that system. Look at them now. They're one of the best sides in this division um, at playing that way, play out from the back, confident in it. I don't think mistakes will happen. And we know this, but I'm sure Bazuna will make a few mistakes this season. I'm sure the centre-halves will make a few mistakes this season, but it, it's got to be persisted with, in my opinion. You can't just ditch it now because it will take... MK Doms, it took a good two-thirds of the season before it really started seeing the kind of fruits of all their labour coming through and right now I think that it is hard seeing conceding sloppy goals and individual mistakes happen these are league one footballers but I, I do think in the long run playing this way it will it will outweigh kind of the, the amount of points you will lose from individual mistakes It will, and it, I will say yesterday they just weren't moving the ball quick enough out from the back you know Williams was really guilty for it Freeman was guilty for it if they'd moved the ball quick enough, it's, it was a lot easier to see because I was there. You could see the gaps in the space that was on the other side of the pitch. If they just got that ball into midfield, given it to Morel, switched it out to Romeo, there was so much space. But they just couldn't get that that ball out into midfield quick enough and then the Burton players were on them. But I do think in the long run, it must be, it's got to be persisted with because it, it will work. And at times, it did give us a foothold, a foothold in the game. It's just... It is just frustrating constantly seeing kind of these little mistakes from when we're playing out from the back kind of resulting in, in goals for the other team. Yeah, I don't think any of us on here would like disagree with that. I mean, Hugh and Fred, feel free to jump in if I'm speaking for you out of line here, but I don't think any of us would disagree that it should be persisted with. And we said it was fairly early on after the Cowleys were appointed towards the end of last season when we were talking about the style of play that we were expecting to see. It was always going to cost us goals as well as causing them at sort of yeah at the at the good end of the pitch as well, and I mean we're going to speak about it when we talk about the system from uh, the listener questions and listener comments that you talked about earlier on, but this is going to lead to as you say more goals scored than it will conceded as the players adapt to the system and hopefully as the players come back from injury, it's just a question of patience. I think we've just got to remember that. Let's look at the big picture here at, at the off-season or at the start of the season when people were running all sorts of polls of where Pompey are going to finish this season. And by far the most popular sort of prediction for the season was mid-table, maybe sneak into the playoffs if we have a good run at one point in the season. And that was what we said the expectation was for the Cowleys this season. And yeah, it's frustrating at the moment, but it's it's very easy to have short memories. And if that's the expectation for the season... That is the expectation for this season. We cannot now move the goalposts 10 games in 
and say, okay, well, we're where we are where we thought we'd be and where we predicted we'd be, but we'd actually like to be higher. So let's get on the Cowley's back kind of thing. And that for me is a big frustration at the moment that suddenly I feel like people have moved the goalposts of where we should be compared to where they thought we were at the start of the season. And, you know, in football where everyone has short memories and I'm as guilty of it as anyone else, but I do think we need to remember where we were aspiring to be or where we thought we were as a squad at the start of the season and just take a step back a little bit because maybe we aren't an automatics or a playoff side at this moment in time. And if so, that is just, is what it is. Got to ride it out, January transfer window, see if, you know, we can sneak in a Ben Thompson, a Ben Thompson, not the Ben Thompson. And then we start that, Andy. Yeah, I know. Just got to get it in there, mate. It's muted on Twitter. So the podcast's the only place I get to talk about it. But um, yeah, right out to January and then see what happens in the second half of the season. And I don't know, it's frustrating me that everyone, well, not everyone by any stretch of the imagination, that, uh, there's a lot of fickleness happening at the moment and a lot of short memories and a lot of very reactive and emotional responses coming out when we need to remember where we've come from, really, at the start of the season. I don't blame fans for doing it, though. Pompey haven't won in over a month. In oh, no, no, Fred, I completely agree. Like, people driving down with what is currently extremely precious car fuel to Burton on a Tuesday night and watching a pretty insipid performance, absolutely, I have no issues whatsoever. I saw someone complaining at the chants that were being chanted by the Pompey crowd at times in that game, and they got quite rightly jumped on for it because they're completely entitled to. But I think cold light of day when we get home from the games... And then we think, right, let's look at the squad. Let's look at where we thought we were at the start of the season. We are basically where we thought we would be. And I'm not saying don't get annoyed at games. I'm not saying, you know, that it's out of line to be really quite pissed off at some of the mistakes that are happening. But I'm saying cold light of day, let's just ne- not get too reactive here. And you know, got, got people calling for Cowley's out. Let's let's be realistic. Who's doing Cowley. that? I haven't there's, seen it's that happening. Yet. Genuinely, it's happening on socials. Let's like let get a little bit of reality and give our heads a wiggle here. Uh, we are where we should be at the moment, and it's a long season. Let's not go crazy. Yeah, we did say we'd judge the side a bit more after like fifteen games at least. That's when you get a vague idea, don't you? Um, the, it, it, the frustration definitely comes from the fact that it seems at the moment Pompey are being a bit wasteful with the individual mistakes on top with being punished for seemingly every single one of them. Add into that on top, even in the Burton game, look at, sort of look at some of the advanced numbers. They weren't even good when looking at um, the Charlton game and some of the others they were. It is very frustrating, but the only thing you have to do is wait and see what happens. And, and Cowley will work on changing the system and making little tweaks. We know that already. You may, I, I can't remember the last time a Pompey manager made a triple substitution during a game. Can you? He's willing, obviously, to be adaptable. It's not there's not that stubbornness there like under a previous regime. So, so that's one thing to hold your hat on, I suppose. Hey, I remember Jacket doing one triple sub and it all going bloody mental. Right, Hugh, jump in, go, move it on. Jump in and say that Rico Hackett Fairchild, great free kick, comes on. I think it was his first touch, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, he comes onto the pitch, absolutely blasts that free kick. Everyone thinks it's going to be Curtis. Maybe even Curtis thought it was going to be Curtis. No. Rico steps up and he, hit, he hits the free kick. It blasts it in over the goal. What a finish. Gives a little ray of hope, but I don't really think, even from then, we looked like we were going to go on and get an equaliser to be, Sam. Not particularly. I, I give credit to Burton. They really did um, just let the game kind of fizzle out. Kept like time. Every, we would have done it as well, but time wasting with throw ins, etc. 
um, really good at kind of just let, running the clock down. And, and they did a good job at that. Um, but yeah, it never really created a chance afterwards. I mean, there was a shot from, there was a couple of shots from Louis Thompson. Um, there was one that we looked like it was going in the top corner, but I think it took a slight deflection. And then there was another one towards the end of the game, kind of ball just fell to the middle of the box and it was a really good block from the burn defender. Must be said, they put they they really did like put their bodies on the line. Some really strong tackles, physical team, but they played with an intensity that Pompey just couldn't deal with at times. And that was throughout the whole pitch. That was that wasn't just defensively in the midfield. Their, their attackers as well were really, really like feisty, not giving anyone any time on the ball. So it just didn't really even when we scored, I didn't necessarily think we were going to get back into it. Um but yeah, that, just those two shots from Thompson, that was about that was about it from a Pompey perspective, not getting the ball out. What there was a few chances where, especially down the right, where Romeo was running down and he, all he had to do was just slide harness in. Um, and there would have been a great opportunity for a ball to come across the box, but the the, the ball into harness was just not good enough. It's that quality, that last bit of quality that's been really lacking throughout the whole season, not just yesterday. Andy, is that a cup of tea, mate, or are you vaping on the pod as well? Uh, that was a candle. Okay. <laughs> I just got confused. I was listening to sound and I looked up and there's just all this vapor everywhere. Just, nah, my body's te- happening. My body's a temple. We know this. A very yeah. poorly kept temple. I thought you had to resort to some other way of uh, calming down during the middle of uh, talking about this Pompey performance against Burton. It's been a week, Hugh. It has definitely been a week, but we're not quite at that point. Good man, good man. Stick to your guns there. All right, let's move on to see what you guys are saying because we've talked it for. And let's be honest, we could have gone for every little kick in the game against Burton and Charlton, especially against Burton. There really wasn't that much to talk about from a chance created. So there's no point in us talking about the odd tackle here and there. I thought Joe Morrell as well did pretty well in centre midfield. I think that's worth noting as well. He's really grown into that role in the middle now. He's sort of got up to speed. I think he, he looked good against Charlton as well. So that's a bit of a glimmer of hope in the middle there. That I think Joe Morrell is looking very good. And I've got faith that Turnercliffe next to him will be a good partnership in the centre. Um, Andy? Yeah, I think if we're doing sort of, um, what's the word? If we're doing shout outs or if we're doing credit where it's due, I think Sean Raggett again, extremely, uh, extremely solid, seemed to win absolutely everything in the air over the 90 minutes. And yeah, hasn't really put a foot wrong yet this season. So I think, yeah, you have to give credit where it's due there. Completely He's definitely agree. looking much better as see in the middle of that three centre-halves, even with Williams and Freeman next to him. It's not the most ideal thing, but individually, it's streamlined his game and he's been literally brilliant this season already. Um, he's up there with Bazunu for me. For yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember in pre-season, I said, he's got he's got to start fast because he's been a little bit guilty of the last few seasons of starting very slow, taking taking a lot of time to sort of settle into his new defensive partnership. But he's really stepped up this season and, you know, he is pretty much our only defender at the moment playing it in the central role. So credit, Sean, nice one, mate. You know, credit where credit's due. But let's go on. We put it out to you guys, another game without a win as Pompey lost to Burton 2-1. Is it time for Danny Cowley to change the formation or is the squad depth the real issue? And thanks again to everyone messaging in real classic Hugh fashion at the moment. I only put the post out about 6pm and we're recording the start of 7. So everyone who's messaged in rapidly, thank you. Dan Knight messages in. He says, formation works well. Williams is a left centre-back and Freeman is a right centre-back. Either side of Raggett are really struggling. Once Ogilvy, I'm guessing he means Ogilvy, is, uh, is fit, he will slot in and will look a lot better at the back. Still need to sort out the poor attacking, though. Yeah, so I think Dan's really saying what Sam's saying there, really. P- 
patience. This is a new system. We haven't got the personnel at the back. It's not a system issue, Dan thinks. It's actually just due to the fact that we're playing two players completely out of position and they are creating individual errors. Maybe if we had Clark Robertson at the back, guys, do you think with Robertson and Ogilvy, we'd be in a completely different situation to we're in now? I think some of the individual errors may not have happened. Um, it would be a bit strange because you'd have to put one of Ogilvy or Robertson on the right-hand side on their own foot, which may be a bit strange for them to get used to, specifically if they're playing out from the back. But yeah, that, the problem with the the 3-5-2, I can see that's where Portsmouth wants to be, but they're not there yet. Um, there are so many, there's so many little factors that, re, that are re, for this to work. And movement off the ball, like I said earlier, especially. Um, there were multiple times in multiple games where Bazunu had no option and had to hit it long, which some fans were happy about, surprisingly, but I certainly wasn't. <laughs> it, 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 that, that's where the frustration is. It, 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 it's the individual players have to get used to the system because I think that's where Cowley wants to go anyway, long term. Maybe, a, maybe a, it needs a January or a summer, but I think the players do need to get used to it because I don't see any other formational system working. The four, the four at the back earlier in the season, that had its problems as well. There were similar problems with not creating enough, I don't think. So it's a, it's a tough one, but I would rather they persist rather than chopping and changing it all the time. Yeah, and uh, controversial Carlton messages in. He says, fans cheer at Burton when Bazuna resorted to a jacket ball upfield. What do fans want? A team trying to play football and finishing mid-table or a team challenging for the playoffs by playing the percentages uh, regardless of the, of the team? Given the squad and budget, that appears to be the choice. Do you think, though, Andy, it is actually a trade-off of play this system and see how it goes? And if we went to the more jacket-style hoof in the ball, do you think we'd have any more luck than we're actually getting now? Potentially fewer individual mistakes from players playing in a system they're not used to. But yeah, that that trades off against the fact that I don't think the four at the back formation is as... it's not. I don't think over the course of a season, the four at the back formation is going to be as effective in terms of winning points. And I don't think it's going to create as good a spectacle watching from the crowd. I genuinely think that the system they're trying to implement at the moment is going to be one that ticks both boxes in terms of it is going to be better to watch. I generally already prefer watching Cowley teams than I did watching Jacket teams. And I do think when the players get up to speed with the system, it's going to be an improvement. I I understand the frustration when you're seeing individual mistakes and then a bit of relief when we get to the old hoof ball and you know, get the ball safely out. But let's not forget the amount of goals that we've scored quite quickly from Bazunu's distribution and also with the high press that you can play when you're playing that sort of 3-5-2 because it allows the the fullbacks to get so far forward and sort of assist, you know, assist with the attacking threat a bit more. So, yeah, I don't think it is completely necessarily a trade-off between the two. I think we can have the best of both worlds. But as Sam said earlier, it's going to take patience and that is generally in short supply when it comes to football, especially with, I mean, other things within the club that are causing people to feel a bit frustrated at the moment. Cowley's Cow's message in, he says, three at the back hasn't resolved our goal scoring issues and for the most part, we look sloppy in possession. Our clean sheets, resolute defending, close some what boring games of four at the back have disappeared. Personally, go back to what the lads know and grind out results with four at the back. 
we're getting the basics wrong and silly individual errors that weren't happening in the old four at the back system. The few times three at the back has been pretty to watch, but there's been a few bits of link-up play that haven't been effective. Andy? But didn't, on, on uh, in the Burton game, didn't we go three at the back and then change to four at the back and then go back to three at the back again because the four at the back didn't really benefit us? Yeah. Well, that, that's my response to that tweet then. And if you remember from the previous games we played four at the back, the midfield got very lost. The two centre midfielders sometimes got very lost and they struggled to play the ball through the midfield a lot more than they are currently. Um, I think the only difference is Pompey took their very few chances in those games. Remember the Fleetwood game, the, the first proper chance was Lee Brown on that side and that was it. And that was in, in, late into the second half. So really, I think the only what, the only reason why you would switch from the three at the back is if the, it, there's even more injuries than there are now. If Romeo goes down, then they have to, I think. Or if Lee Brown goes down, then they can't really play the wing-back system because Hackett, Hackett Fairchild at wing-back, I think if he's subbed on there, that's good. But starting him at right wing-back, I think that would cause too many defensive problems for me. Um and who else would you play left wing back if Lee Brown's injured? No, nobody really jumps out at me. Hurst, surely, so, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> Getting him the side any way you can, yeah? <laughs> yeah. How can you fit him in the team? Um, let's move on. Uh, ben Wallace messages in. He says, the squad rebuild isn't finished. Lack of depth at the back is costing us at the moment. Hoping when Ogilvy is fit, our defence will be tighter. Budget constraints and high wages for underperforming players... We didn't slash couldn't sell. Also kept us short of good alternative options up top. Sam, we're, we're listening to what the what the listeners are saying on this, really. But do you think it's fair to say, as Danny Cowley put out, it's going to be three transfer windows, really, before the team comes together? And we just got to sort of sit with it now, try and do the best of the squad we've got, and then hope we can reinforce the team in January. Yeah, well, as I said earlier, I, I think it's a case of staying within touch of the playoffs up until January, and then see where that gets us. For me, there's four, possibly five players that are complete deadwood in this squad and it shouldn't be a surprise that we didn't get rid of them because who actually wants to come and buy them? Who who would come and sign Paul Downing, let's be honest? Who would actually come and sign him? He's still got, they'd have to pay money for him because he's got, he's got a year on his contract unless Pompey let just let him go for free. You know, Ellis Harrison, it's not worked out. I'd, I'd even make an argument to say at times John Mark was potentially not the player that Cowley actually wants up front. So yeah, there, there is a lot of deadwood and the squad does need, it, it will take at least another two two windows for me before we can properly judge Cowley and go, do you know what, this is your team now, how it performs, it's all on you. I know he's come out and taken responsibility for some results, which is, yeah, I know I feel for him at times because he has to, because he's the manager, but he's come out He's taken responsibility for the results when realistically it's not his fault. It, 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 the team has looked better this season, definitely playing better football. There's definitely signs of progress and give it time and give him a, another window, another two windows. I do feel that he is he's definitely the right man for the job and he gets Pompey, definitely gets Pompey. You know, yesterday, seeing him on the touchline, it's chalk and cheese from what we saw last year from Jacket stood there hands hands like like cross just no emotion at all as soon as Cowley the second goal went in three subs bang straight away on 
you know, you could see the disappointment in his face. And you, we can't, I just think it's harsh for people to be kind of calling him out going, you know, it's on him because it's not, you know, it's so obvious that there's so much deadwood in this squad. We didn't get a striker. We probably need another centre-half as cover um, because signing Clark Robertson, who we knew was injury-prone, was always going to be a risk. But for me, at the moment, this is on this is on the ownership of this summer as well because we knew there was players out there that we could have gone and got. Uh, one springs to mind, centre-half was Edmondson from, from Rangers, but now he's at Ipswich. He'll be one of the best centre-halves in the league once they get going properly. So it's just that that that's an example of a player where they've, we just haven't, Pompey just haven't been backed by the ownership. And I just, you just got to feel for Cowley at, at some point. I think one thing that's worth saying as well is you mentioned the three subs there that we made up or that Danny Cowley made after the goal, the second goal. They all worked as well. The, the three subs actually improved the performance a bit as far as I'm concerned. They made the formation look more robust. And I think they actually, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of those subs actually come into the starting 11 this weekend based on the way they did slightly change the game and based on how angry Danny Cowley looked at the end of the game, which is the first time I've seen any interview with him and I've been slightly intimidated by the bloke. He's been pretty smiley and friendly and an all-round nice guy up to this point, but I think this was the first time that he was genuinely a little bit angry at having to come out and take the flak, which he will do because he's the manager and that is his job at the end of the day, is to come out and take the flak and take the heat off his players. But I think this was the first time he's been quite angry about doing it. So, yeah, I'd expect to see a couple of changes based off that at the weekend. Yeah, and the quote, roughly paraphrasing it, was something like, did you learn something about your team? And he said, yeah. And they said, you know, do you want to share that? And he was like, no, I think I'm going to keep that to myself. So you can see that he didn't even want to share those points with the media. And Danny Cowley has usually been quite open to the media and, and you know, suggesting where Pompey needs to improve and where we go from here and what he's learned. He's usually the kind of manager who comes out and gives quite an in-depth tactical sort of analysis of a game. So... You can see he's a little bit at his wits end there. But Alfredo 20 messages in. He says, depth's the problem. You know it's bad when you've got midfielders and fullbacks at centre-back. I'm begging Ogilvy's back soon, as he could be what we need. However, after hearing today's news out of the academy, I'm seriously starting to doubt the Eisners. Something to say about that is we're saying we need to wait around for, for January and hopefully we can strengthen. But... Do you think, Sam, that we're actually going to strengthen the squad? Is that false hope coming in? And is there any evidence they actually are going to back the management and give them the players they need in January? Well, I think there's that assumption, like in my head, being a fickle football fan, I'd assume that the Eisners are going to pump a load of money into a championship quality striker come January. But will that be the case? I don't necessarily think so. Um, that should have been done in the summer. We all knew that. That the players they wanted to get rid of should there should have been, you know, there was rumours of Ellis Harrison going to Plymouth, and there was something around them Pompey not want, a wage thing maybe or wanting a loan deal instead, and you know that that's little things there where you'd think why aren't they just paying the player off or give the just give the the other team what they want? We need a player in who's going to do the job. So that, I don't think there's I don't think there's any indication that they're going to go in January and going to you know get the, get exactly what we need, and that's. That is slightly worrying. And, you know, this is the first time under the, the Eisner ownership where I've had my doubts. I've been quite, I have been quite kind of positive throughout the whole thing. I, I do think they are good for the club, but this is the first time where I've been like, do you know what they could, they should have, you know, they, they backed previous managers. What I don't understand why they've, why they haven't backed 
Cowley as much as you know as, as Jacket did get backed and there was clear it was so obvious we needed a striker and we needed some more we needed some more defensive cover and then it wasn't it just wasn't it wasn't met and I don't necessarily think that's going to happen in January it's more me just hoping it's going to happen in January more than anything yeah, yeah it's it's always hard to even if you had the money to find the right player in January most players are obviously available in the summer and usually January is for try attempting to plug that one one or two gaps the squad might have but usually it's um, shifting deck chairs bringing in depth players can you remember the last signing ports of long-term signing ports have made in January that made a difference I mean long-term as well not like a lone player or anything no, but I'm loving the uh, analogy of Portsmouth being the Titanic there with the shifting deck chairs. That I'm wasn't intentional, but there we are. <laughs> I mean, very negative. He's, I mean, moved down, he's moved down to Portsmouth now and he's already using boat analogies. He's getting the naval, the naval metaphors. Oh, right. Always, always. <laughs> I think that it, 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 it's about perception with the eyes, isn't it? That's one of the big things. Um, some of that is down to external factors, but some of that is down to decisions being made in the club as well. The external factors being... Other sides challenging for promotion are spending a lot of money. And when I say a lot of money, I mean a lot of money. Charlie Wyke's on 10k a week at Wigan. And you think, would any Pompey fan want Charlie Wyke at 10k a week at Fratton? No, I don't think so. I think most people think that's a bit ludicrous. But on the other hand, you're seeing other decisions being made. And we mentioned the Academy last summer with all the all the Academy players leaving and still the lack of an under twenty three side and the and the and the constant thing of oh the we do want to build the academy it will get better look at this staff we've brought in when some of them have gone already for me there's always that tiny bit of doubt there and also I think one of the things to take bear in mind is they they are American owners and they've owned American franchises where they they generally think more long term and they also have like an asset mindset thinking about everybody they are never going to release a player and pay him off no that's never going to happen in a million years because they think well why would we spend this money to release a player when he can at least do a job in the, in their view so that's not going to happen i think the only way to where a lot of money will be freed up in january is if players move and I think Harrison did want to move to Plymouth anyway. Um, he wanted to stay from the reports that I've heard or have read as well. So it's going to be very difficult. <laughs> January is always very difficult. And I don't blame people for doubting the eyes and the mindset again, especially with some of the infrastructure stuff and the academy stuff that's already gone on. I think we've had a history at Portsmouth in the last 15, well, just under 15 years of owners doing bad business. And as Freddie said there, as frustrating as this is, paying players to leave or, I mean, doing what potentially a lot of fans would want, as Sam mentioned there, in terms of, you know, pay out the players' contract, etc. Whether or not that's what we want as football fans, that is objectively quite a lot of the time bad business and they're not going to do it because, as Fred says, they see it as a collection of assets. They see it as a collection of, you know, th- these are people who are worth money and they each bring in their own financial income as as players. Having said that, the vast majority of my frustrations this season so far have been off the pitch. But the problem is that it is going to be Danny Cowley, Nicky Nicky Cowley and the 11 players 
that bear the brunt of that because they are the people who come out every single home game at Fratton in front of 16,000, 17,000. They're the people who have to take the flack from away fans, two, 3,000 away fans uh, on a Tuesday night at, at Burton Albion because the performance isn't there for, for whatever reason. And all of this off the field stuff the people that are going to take the hit for it and the people that are going to, you know, be the face of the club and, you know, have to deal with most are the people who maybe aren't even responsible for that, like the Cowleys and the players. And that's my my frustration because my enjoyment of the last couple of um, games has been really marred by off the, off the field stuff, whether it's the organisation at Fratton or other things going on that the club could have resolved. And then the performance hasn't helped that. But by the time the start whistle go the start whistle, that's not a phrase. By the time the referee starts the game, the level of frustration I'm at a lot of the time at the moment is already fairly high because of off the pitch stuff. And it gives you less sort of less reserve, less wiggle room to go into before you get really quite you know, frustrated and annoyed in your afternoon out or your evening out. So again, trying not to be too reactionary about it, but the off the field stuff this season so far from every angle, whether it's match day management or whether it is relating to some of this academy stuff that's coming out at the moment and the uh, statements that I'm not exactly sure are completely factually correct, sue me, whether it's any of that stuff, I'm suspicious. I'm no smoke without fire. And yeah, I'm not firing from the hip and getting really frustrated and angry about it, but it is, it's affecting things, you know? No, it massively is. And let's be honest this has not come to as a massive surprise to us here uh, for what we've heard generally and chatting to people. And I know it's in the news, Freddie, it was said that, you know, parents of youngsters have been, you know, disinterested with what's going on and the training facilities are pretty poor for the young ages of sort of nine up to 16. And they haven't really got a permanent transfer, uh, sorry, permanent training facility for those age groups. And if you're a parent of a kid who's got promise, who's 14 years old, and Arsenal come along knocking and go, oh, why don't you come and come and play for our academy? We've got all this set up. We've got all this stuff to help you, your kid develop or, you know, even another team around us in, in the league, you know, Brighton or whoever it is. You, you're going to go there, aren't you? Because I know that I am. If I'm a parent there and I'm seeing the, the opportunities my kid gets, rather than someone like Harry Kavner, who, for instance, has gone through the academy all the way up. Uh, and then only to be released without an under-23 teams to help them develop. And we bang on about this. I've been going on about this for ages in the podcast. All of us have. We've asked Mark Catlin when he was in the podcast for years and called him out on it. There's no U23 team and there's no route for these youngsters to get into the first team. And not only is there no route for them to get in the first team, they've not even got the facilities to help these players develop at that age up. And then they wonder why we're not bringing any players through into the main team. So I... The academy staff leaving does not surprise me and it follows a lot of other academy staff who have been poached by Brighton, have left for their own reasons and suddenly the club's now trying to patch over that with some, I'm going to say, rubbish statement from Driscoll. I don't know that, but it just seems so obvious from everything we've heard. Players, young players, being told they were going to be signed for, for a year or two, only to be told the next week they were going to be released. This is not something new. This is something that's been rumbling along for years and years. And the club promised that they were going to put an emphasis on youth. And all I can see is a youth infrastructure that so far is collapsing. And the excuse they bought a bit of land around the Roku. Well, when that's developed properly, and actually I see something tangible coming from young players at this club, I think it's an absolute disgrace. 
A couple of things here, if I may. For the, for the listeners who may not be aware which staff have left, um, Sean O'Driscoll resigned today. Um, he A statement came up from the club specifically where it was mentioned that basically it was time committed and personal matters. I'm paraphrasing that. You may want to read that yourself. From Andrew Moon from BBC Radio Solence. Obviously, we respect his coverage so much. From what he's heard, it is a mix of what I mentioned earlier from that statement and also him being frustrated with lack of facilities and promises not being kept. So that's the argument from there. And the other staff member to leave was Joe Prodromo, who, and that was from Andrew Moon as well on Twitter. And he was the academy goalkeeping coach that came in in the summer, but has already left. And that is a major red flag for me. Somebody who's literally just come into the job and is already gone within a matter of months. That that for me is the major red flag where I think that something's going wrong there. And like you mentioned, we've been saying that there's been no route for the youngsters for years. Um, not only that, they're also heavily relying on the loan system to, to develop their players. And you're asking 17 or 18-year-olds to go out on loan. Uh, that's not going to suit everybody. That's not going to suit everybody, especially if they're loaned out to a uh, non-league side. Uh, uh, there was a lot of argument of why Alfie Stanley couldn't get a loan move, even though he had incredibly highly rated finishing because he physically wasn't at it. So, so if there isn't that pathway, then it doesn't really matter what youth players you even bring in because only the exceptional ones will be ready for the first team anyway. And the others, you've wasted all that time, you've wasted all that money in them. We don't know how much money it is. Not enough, presumably, but you've wasted all that time, you've wasted all that money and academy stuff, if they think that, then why would they stay at Pompey? And the only way that I'll see tangible progress is when... Portsmouth Academy moves up a, a category. I believe it's a category three academy at the moment. So I'll have to double share that quickly now. Yep. Okay. Um, which is incredibly low. I think Colchester in League Two have got a category two academy, which puts that into perspective. And that's done on facilities, purely on facilities, basically. And we don't know whether that will improve until that's all done. But it was the fact that Michael Eisner specifically mentioned that in the Guild Hall where it was that emphasis on youth player. And it makes sense. He's an American owner. He's he's owned franchises where there's so much emphasis on youth through drafting. And so far, we've seen none of that whatsoever. There's been no results at all. The only players come through Hadji, and he was an exceptional talent. He was playing for England at under-17 level. So where do we go from here on that? Well, what I would like is maybe someone from the club to come and comment on the podcast on it. You know, Andrew Cullen, Greg Miller, be nice to nice to hear from you. Maybe you can set the record straight on on some things that we said on the podcast. If that's what you think. Um, or, if you want, or if you want to get a quote in the news, it's freddy.web.jpress.co.uk. Edited. Any any option <laughs> any opportunity, Fred, to get your email address in there as a plug. <laughs> I think the other thing quickly, just to throw in, just before we yeah. sum sum this bit up, is that. In terms of there are there are stories here in clonk in conflict of each other in terms of what's actually happened behind the scenes. I think it's worth saying that the initial source breaking the news or you know whatever you want to call it whistleblower on on Twitter was giving the reasons for the departures as being to do with facilities and money and frustration and maybe some of the stuff that the club is now trying to contradict. For me, that initial source of the information the information itself was correct in terms of these members of staff leaving. That was correct before the club had announced anything. So it seems unlikely to me that 
the second part of the information they released was incorrect. It seems odd to me that they would only be half accurate. So, yeah, it w- what, but we've been saying we want the club to come out and make public comments about these things for a while and just be honest and open. We we had a big, probably quite a ranty pod a while ago, uh, maybe maybe eight eight to ten months ago, about the club not being transparent about certain topics. So I think we're potentially clutching at straws a little bit there, to be honest. Chris Soley measures in. He said, how do you boys feel about playing Curtis up top? Pace always troubles defenders. He's far more mobile than Marquis, and at the moment, far more prolific. Surely with the current form, it's worth a shout. Possibly Rico wide left. Jacobs, perhaps. Uh, Chris, I think Ronan is playing up top in the uh, in the 3 4 one, two. He is actually playing as a striker who's just drifting a little bit to, to get the ball in positions to allow him to come inside a bit and shoot. But I think it's a good idea. I think it's one of the things that is working at the moment, to be honest, up, up top. So pretty happy with that. Jacobs, I don't even know where he is. Does anyone know what's happened to Jacobs? Is he just completely out of favour? Is, is, is that what it is? Well, his, well, his, mind's, his mind's probably still, it's still in the Ipswich, isn't it? I think last time he played was Eastleigh, wasn't it? No, I was, you know, sorry, Basingstoke. Ipswich. Well, whose mind would be in Ipswich? It's the Southampton of East Anglia. Um, yeah, no, n- not a fan. But no, I think he, I think Kurt's up top does work, Chris. W-O-L, or Wall, messages in. And he says, what are your thoughts on the state of the academy, O'Driscoll's resignation? And others, we already spoke about that. So we'll skip past that. Maybe a bigger question than a weekly pod needs. Yep, we could do a special if we can get the right guest. So we will try and bring that to you if we can convince someone from the club to come on and chat about it. John Lish misses in. He says, I am reminded of Bob Stoke after the team had lost 4-0 at Fratton. The game is all about the players and man for man, Pompey had a better player in each position. Formations, combinations, sometimes it's about application. Pull your socks up, Pompey. I could. I think it's fair to say that Burton outworked us man for man in the game we played recently. So I can sort of see where he's coming from in there. And it's up to everyone to really do their duty and pull together and actually do that. Right. Thank you for everyone that messaged in. There are other people, I think, that messaged me. I can't find it, if I'm honest. It's late. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about before we move on to the interview of Graham, guys? No? Everyone's shaking their heads? Yeah, that's it. I'll move it on. All right. So we spoke to Graham from What The Fork podcast and the Scotsman newspaper. He's been on the podcast before. You guys will probably know that. You might have checked out his coverage of England. He did with Matt from Jills and the Blood as well over the Euros. But here's Graham from What The Fork podcast. All right, I'm here with Graham from What The Fork po- podcast and the Scotsman. And Graham, thanks for coming back on the show. All right, it's a pleasure to speak about something at the minute. So you don't really need to invite me, to be honest. I'm quite happy to blab about something for Kingdom Come. Yeah, not surprising. We've had our conversations over the years, haven't we, on various different platforms, following the Pompey and Sunderland and how it's been a little bit of a a neck and neck race. But it definitely doesn't seem like that at the moment. So just going to roll back to the start of the summer. You know, obviously you've got the new ownership finally come in and that sort of clean slate. How, what were the expectations of Sunderland this season in maybe a League One league where there's quite a lot of strengthening going on? I think it's the same expectation. You'll understand this completely because I think it's probably the same with Pompey, but I think the expectation every year was summoned in at this level is, is automatic promotion and, and no less, whether that be first or second, I don't think anyone really cares. Um, but going back to the summer, probably because most of us are always concerned by recruitment because of our history, you get scarred by things, don't you? 
we were a little bit concerned that we pretty much brought no one in. I, I went to the the game against Hearts. I covered the the Sunderland Hearts game. Um, begged my boss to let me cover it from a Hearts perspective so I could go see the lads. Um, and we had no full backs. We had no right back. We had no left back. We didn't have that pacey midfielder in the middle, and we'd released I think nine or so players. Not not that Charlie White and Max Power and and Chris Maguire were players that I disagreed with being released or, or let go of. But that was on the premise that we replaced them with something better. And there was a point in the summer where it was a bit worrying that we hadn't done that. But by the end of the transfer window, it was superb. Um, I, I can't knock them. And I think results on the pitch are always the, the proof in the pudding. But the players like um, Dennis Kirkin from Spurs are just getting better and better. I mean, there was comments from Spurs fans saying, I can't believe we let him go for as cheap as we did. And I'm thinking, I've never heard of this lad, you know, Mr. Ignorant over here, but he's, you can evidently see why he's at England under, I think, 19 international. Um, Callum Doyle were brought in from Man City, 17 year old, I think, nearly 18. He looks about 25, 26. He's about twice the size of me. Class, you can see why he's at Man City. It's a team that's not relying on, on Aidan McGeady too much as well, which is great. McGeady can just still continue to do what he does with right-backs and left-backs and terrify them. But then you've got our own academy progress coming through. Um, Embleton's came back a completely different player from these Blackpool loan, obviously got promoted with them. Um, and Dan Neal's been an, an absolute revelation. Corey Evans has brought in that experience as well. I just, yeah, I'd love to tell you it's, there's some negatives, but there's, there's not, not at the minute, to be honest. I've listened to some of the... Uh, it seems like a big shift in Sunderland's transfer policy recently and also player selection as well. A lot of young players are getting the opportunity compared to the last few years where it was always about trying to get that experience head. What are fans made of that where the young players like Ross Stewart is one of them and Embleton, like you mentioned, who I think is a great player so far, that they're getting the chance rather than Sunderland splashing the cash a bit and getting a more experienced player in? Much prefer it. Um, I think I think there's a lot of clubs that try to do it and, and when they do it sometimes the academy players or the young players that they bring in are, are just not quite good enough and I think that's when that's when you get a bit concerned but the players that we're bringing in are all of Premier League ability I mean we brought in Dennis Kirkin on I think there was rumours it was a million no one ever knows every transfer fee is undisclosed I can't see it being that much if I'm honest I don't know why, I just can't, not that he's not worth it, I just don't think we had. We got in Niall Huggins from Leeds on a, a free transfer, and, and these are players where you're looking at them and you think, we've all seen a player that's a step ahead of, of League One. You've seen it at Pompey, we've seen it at Sunderland, um, and these players look like that, but they're, they're 21, sometimes 19, 20. So you think, well, if they're too good for League One at this level, then suddenly they're going to be you know, in the Championship, they, they should work. Ross Stewart's been brilliant. It's amazing, and I know Wigan fans might attack me for this, but it's amazing seeing a striker that can actually pass the ball and move and, and run the channels. Because Charlie White was a 31 goal season. He's the worst 31 goal season striker I've ever seen in my life. You just start you rubbish. No progression with him either. Like Charlie White will never do well in the championship. Ross Stewart might. And I think that goes for the same across the, the rest of the board. Max Power will never be a championship player. I think Corey Evans already has been. Dan Neal. If he continues his progression, he'll be a, at the very least a very good championship player. And he's a local lad as well. So I think when the, the young signings are made with purpose and, the, and they're made in the right way, not just like playing youth for the sake of playing youth, it, it's definitely 
more preferred for us. We've we've occasionally splashed the cash before, um, and I could probably reel off about four names that never made us any money back that we we paid countless millions of pounds for. Jack Rodwell, um, 10 million, 70 grand a week, left on a free transfer. Um, God knows where he is now. Danny Graham signed for 5 million, 30, 40 grand a week, then re-signed him again on a free transfer. He's now retired, never made us any money from two sales. Stephen Fletcher, one of the maybe less obvious answers, did quite well. Um, occasionally, 12 million pounds, went on a free transfer, now playing for Stoke and Sheffield Wednesday, never got back to the Premiership. So when we splashed the cash, it's never really had a plan. Um, and I think when you're bringing in young players, if you haven't got a plan, you'll, you'll probably spend less, but you'll, you'll, you'll find the same sort of um, the same sort of result, I suppose. Whereas it seems like the recruitment team's really doing their job. And I suppose we should have probably trusted them all along because Speakman's obviously doing the, the recruitment and he brought through Jude Bellingham. So I'm guessing he's, he's doing something right with young players. But when you're a Sunderland fan, you always don't trust the recruitment. So in, in the summer, we were a bit like, oh, no, we've got no right backs and left backs. Lo and behold, we had the best right back in the world in the central midfield in, in Carl Winchester. Obviously, as good as Cafu. But um, yeah, it, it's it's all good. I'm, I'm quite happy with it as the, as the short answer. And I think most Sunderland fans almost across the board would probably agree with that. Carl Winchester was quite a smart pickup. We came from Forest Green as well, didn't he? So you're you're doing that thing. You're mixing in the sort of pros with young players, but you're not having to spend stupid money on big names, I suppose, to bring them in who aren't really effective footballers. But how has that actually panned out on the pitch then? Because Pompey fans, I suppose, have seen Sunderland play so many times over the years. Now we've played each other, but I'm guessing this new side of Sunderland play a different way. How can you explain the differences and what Pompey? likely to see when we play you on Saturday? I think one thing we've screamed out for for years, and I think I said this to yourself, you, in, in our, like, I was going to say in our private conversations, that sounds worse than it actually is. Um, but in our Twitter DMs, shall we say, when we chatted, uh, we've missed pace in the middle for years. Um, I mean, since we've been down here, we've had Dylan McGeoch, tidy footballer. I wouldn't say he's got blistering pace. He's not going to break the channels. Um, Max Power was like a mainstay there. Josh Gowan, um, lovely lad, worst football I've ever seen in my life. Um, Wigan fans might disagree with that. Apparently, he's great. George Dobson, no, it just wasn't really good enough. We've missed a bit of pace in the middle, a bit of cohesion, and we've missed a centre forward that can actually run the channels. Um, I don't know what Johnson's done because I'll, I'll openly admit I'm, I was not a fan of his, um, as I called a cack babble last season. He's very David Brent, but it's funny how much you can enjoy David Brent when he's winning football games, which is quite, a, quite an interesting thing, which I've realised I don't mind what your personality is like as long as you win in football games. But he's he's got an exciting team that, that they seem quite fearless. And it's, yeah, some of his talks are very linked in, but we're playing, we're, we're passing balls forward we've got people who can break the channels Dan Neal's getting forward Ross Stewart can run the channels not everything's just pass it to McGeady and hope for the best and I don't quite know where it changed in the summer um, aside from just he brought in better more exciting younger more progressive players and played a more progressive way I think it's probably been helped by the fact that you know things above the management and things in the, the boardroom seem a little bit more put together because with all due respect I suppose Phil Parkinson and, and Jack Ross bit of a shit show Stuart Donald and Charlie Miffin and there's a, a Netflix television documentary that I'm sure will explain why and probably because we're not trying to get Will Grigg to score goals that probably helps because Will Grigg 
doesn't score goals in a red and white shirt. So, well, Rotherham fans might disagree with me on that, but they're not red and white striped shirts, shall we say. But just more progressive, a better outlook. Um, it's been great having the fans back in. I think a lot of people think Sunderland fans can be detrimental to our performances. I think we lost one game in our first two seasons in League One at home. Um, last season with no fans, we lost about six. This season, we've won every game at home. So, Sunderland fans ain't the problem, I'll tell you that. I've got a quick question. Obviously, Lee Johnson has been happening before. He's been called Streaky Lee. And Pompey and Sunderland both know that we've we've had times at the top of the table in this league and we've both managed to bottle it quite a few times. Does this season feel different for Sunderland? Top of the table now, been on a good run. Are you concerned that you might have something similar to last season? I remember the Peterborough away game that was live on Sky. That seemed a bit of a turning point for you guys. After that, you, you couldn't buy a win. But before that, you want a really good really good run so do you feel like this season does feel a bit different or you're a bit concerned that Lee Johnson might just be in one of his streets yeah, I think you always have a concern as a, a Sunderland fan and, and you'll you'll probably understand that as a, a Pompey fan as well especially since we've both been um, down here but a lot of people have actually said the words it feels different this season and it does can you put your finger on why just momentum and probably a few things that I've mentioned before it doesn't feel like we're going to falter. Like I think the best we've probably played up until last night. Um, for the record, Cheltenham were equally bad. Um, we 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 could have won by ten, but that was us playing very very well and then playing very very bad. But I think apart from that game, the best we've played was probably Burton, and we got beat one 0 At that point, you think, "In ah, we're getting beat off Burton." You know, three or four games in, like, is that going to go south? Is he going to go on one of his streaks again? And I think I, I referred to Streaky Johnson a few times last season because it was streak after streak after streak. But we got beat off Burton and came back and, and won the next couple of games. And then we conceded two in the last, it looks like the last nine minutes, but it's the last 16 minutes because it was seven, seven minutes of injury time against Fleetwood really doffed that up. A bit of negativity for the first time this season surrounding that because Bailey Wright had a poor game and, and Tom Flanagan missed that one through suspension. And you start thinking, oh, is this when it kind of turns back? Is this when your streak begins again? And then, We'd be Bolton and we'd be Cheltenham 5 0. So I think there's always concern because you're not going to go through the whole season without a relatively bad run. But I think that the big things with Sunland throughout the Jack Ross era, the Parkinson era, and probably Johnson towards the back end of last season was that Sunland didn't lose many games, but we drew far too many. Jack Ross loved a 1 1 to the point where it became like an in joke that he just loved a 1 1. We just drew far too many. And I think it's that old adage, isn't it? You'd rather kind of win one, lose one than draw two. Because uh, more points. And I think this season feels like we're going to win more games than we are. Then we are going to draw like a few and, and then win a couple and then maybe lose just one in the five, but draw two of those five. And I think that's probably the big difference alongside, you know, the way we're playing, the outlook of the club at the minute. I think... Um, if anyone's seen the film Malignant recently, I'm not referring to the film, but we've kind of cut out the cancer a little bit of the um, of the old ownership. And I, I'm not saying anything lightly with that. It was that it, it didn't work. It was a marriage that very much was flawed from the beginning. When we look back, the new owner, 23, 24, billionaire, millionaire, must be all right for some, but I'm pleased he's spending his money on something. But he's doing, it in, he's doing it in a shrewd way. I'm pleased he's not coming in just like, flung money at Sunderland because I don't think that would work. I don't think it does work in League One. Still a nice bit of experience in there with Corey Evans, Flano. And we've got a, a goalkeeper from Bayern Munich. I mean, I can't believe things on that. Without we've got two 
is from the Brian Munich Youth Academy. I mean, obviously, it's not money or even disguise, but he's doing all right at this level. Yeah, it, it, it feels really good. Like the, the short answer for you, Sam, would be it does feel different. Yeah, yeah, it really, really does. But it is something. So I'm not going to say 100%. Yeah, it all sounds very positive, doesn't it? I'm just thinking at the moment, because Pompey are sort of struggling to finish chances, which you wouldn't necessarily think with, you know, a couple of goals, two goals in the game against Plymouth, two goals in the game against Charlton, but hatfuls of chances. John Marquis, same story, again, same seed, different season, can't finish. We can't defend at the moment either, so we'll go on to it. We've only got one fit centre-back, apart from Paul Downing, has been so awful, he's not even in contention. We're having to play Williams, a midfielder, at centre-back instead. Where where possibly could Pompey exploit Sunderland? And I'm saying this from, I'm clutching all the straw around me. I feel like I've got barrels of hay just surrounding me in this room I'm sitting in. But is there anywhere that Sunderland have looked a little bit weak that potentially Pompey could exploit you? Um. Oh God, because like that's the thing. I'm I'm not the most positive of Sunderland fans, but I probably sound like I'm like the happy clapper and being happy with everything we've ever done. But we are playing really well this season. The one minor gripe I think that we could possibly have, and then we've kept two clean sheets in the last two games, but we haven't kept as many clean sheets as we would like. But then the last two games we've kept clean sheets against Bolton and Cheltenham. Cheltenham didn't offer much, to be honest. Um, so that's not like a massive feat. Bolton did. Bolton looked decent. Bolton probably had we've came up against this season. And they couldn't get past us. But the games prior to that, like we conceded one against Wickham in the 90th minute. We conceded against Wigan opening day of the season. Conceded one against Burton. Conceded two against Fleetwood. Sometimes we can be so progressive that it kind of catches us a little bit. There's been the Fleetwood game was probably the standout. Like that was the game where second half we were poor. We're like I wouldn't say we deserved to only draw because Fleetwood weren't exactly brilliant, but had a bit of fighting spirit and we give them a bit of a fighting chance 10 minutes from the end with a bit of a silly mistake where Bailey White switched off and Winchester probably not in the place he should have been. Um, they get one back, they get a bit of pressure, then Bailey White gives the gives the um the referee decision to make, like in the 97th minute, which he's always going to make and for a whole end. There is that element that we probably concede more than we should, but then we've had two clean sheets in the last two games. And I've seen one or two highlights of John Marquis, which I'm sure we'll talk about on, on our podcast, Hugh, but um, on my podcast, sorry, Hugh. But and he doesn't exactly look like he's in the mood for scoring goals at the minute. He looks like he's in the mood for missing them, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And your confidence is worrying me, Graham, because we've had conversations <laughs> over the years where I've asked you the same question and there's been at least a couple of points, not, you know, we, we've conceded one goal against this team and one goal against that team. So, do you know what? I think, I think I'm going to struggle to get any sort of flaws out of you in this, but just to, just to, let's, let's get into the meaty bit then. School prediction time. We'll ask it to everyone on the podcast here. We're looking at the game against Pompey. We haven't won in six, but let's put that beside us. Pretend that didn't happen. Graham, what is your score prediction for the game on Saturday at Fratton Park? I don't like going to Portsmouth. I really like going in the playoffs. That was a good night. That was a funny night. Oh, yes, that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't, don't remind me of that. Oh, God. That was the one. That was I, wasn't the one even, I wasn't even there and I hated it. Awful night. Really, I was going to say, you don't look like the guy that attacked Luke nine, so you say if you're all right. you just got a beard, mate. You've just grown a beard out, so you can't tell. I think Freddie's a bit of a <laughs> doppelganger for him, to be honest with you. 
<laughs> yeah, de- 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 definitely two sides to my life, obviously. Have you got a grey hoodie hanging out anyway? And some grey joggers anyway? Could do it for Halloween. You never know. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll go on a big night out, PO forecast, night out dressed as that lot. I think it'd be, <laughs> don't think anyone will be too happy. Just get a yeah, curly don't, wig. Don't get confused by his pretty face. Freddie is 50% stats and 50% GBH. Don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, you know, Pomp is a tough game. Yeah, I'm really confident. Yes, I've so at the season, you you classify yourselves as promotion contenders, and I still think you'll be there or thereabouts. Yeah, Danny Kelly's a decent manager. You've got some decent players that can win games that other League One teams don't have, the likes of Ronan Curtis and Marquis on form. I've seen Pompey turn it on against us when I least expected it last season when he beat us 3-1. We were in decent form then as well. But if I came on the show and said that I wasn't really confident of winning, um, I'd be totally lying, but... We got beat off Burton and we dominated Burton and still got beat 1-0. So you never know in League One, like things can happen. And if we're going to lose a game, it's going to be positive, which is the way it's kind of gone the last four years. But um, for me, 3-1 Sunderland. And who's your goal scorers then, mate? Who's going to do the devastation? Ross Stewart. Can't look past him. Um, totally on form. And the young boy you brought in from Everton, uh, was absolutely phenomenal last night, which is weird because he played up front. He scored five goals on paper. He didn't set any of them up. He didn't score any of them. But Nathan Broadhead was phenomenal last night. And he played in like the the number 10, almost the front two role and, and scored five goals. And a lot of it came from his hard work. I think it's the third one. He plays in McGee with a pass that I couldn't even see. Obviously, you can see that he's a young premiership player. So for me, Broadhead deserved to go last night if he plays um, a fancy Two for Broadhead, one for Ross Stewart. Fine, I like that. Well, I can't really argue this moment in time, Graham. But you know, just just for the just for jokes' sakes, why don't we have a little cheeky bet? Whoever wins out of Pompey and Sunderland will buy the other person a pint because uh, that's me doing my charitable thing for the day, really. Yeah, I was going to say it works for you, doesn't it? Because I mean, you can buy me a pint then, so it makes a change. <laughs> Is that finding for the rest of us there? Because that's um. If that's four pints we're offering and one we're receiving, that seems like a very bad bet to make. I mean, I wasn't counting you in, but now you're in, Andy. You can go a nice one. I appreciate the backup. And uh, Sam's, Sam's nodding in the background and Freddie's yeah. always going to join in. You know, he's just, he's, he's stroking his beard with an agreement, you know, sort of. Uh. All right. Anyway, Graham, it's been awesome having you on the podcast, mate. Thanks again. Where can people find you? Um, wherever they want, pretty much. Um, you can find me at, at what the Fork Pod. Um, I do a bit of stuff with um, other teams up here in Scotland and, and some in the northeast. And if you want to read my non-football stuff, obviously I write for the Scotsman about drag queens now and again. Um, always a good read. Love a bit of drag race. So if you want to have a bit of read about my, my my drag race love instead of my football love, you're more than welcome to do that. Nice one, mate. And uh, we'll speak soon. I'm just going to finish this podcast off and we'll have a chat. So um, thanks again, dude. Pleasure. No problem. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, Graham, for coming on the podcast. And although Graham seems quite confident about Sunderland winning and we're all a little bit you know, down about Pompey's luck, but there's one man amongst us <laughs> right here sitting on his sofa, cool as you like with a cucumber, who thinks Pompey are going to win. Sam? Yeah, Pompey are going to win, Hugh. And I know this is really hard to say, but after he's just come on here being the most confident football fan I've ever seen, but... It's a sign about Sunderland coming to Fratton Park against Portsmouth. Last year we played them. They were in good form. We went up there, beat them 3-1 when we just didn't expect it. 
I just got a feeling that, you know, we can't buy a win, but it's something about Sunderland at home, Fratton Park, I've just got a feeling. And we're not, we play some decent football every now and then. So I've just got a feeling. Fans, the, the atmosphere, we start well, get an early goal. We know Sunderland just love to just implode against us. So let's just kind of, let's be confident. 2 0 Pompey, Ronan Curtis. I just, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Insert dramatic music in the background. Yeah. This oh, a complete 180 <laughs> from what we were saying about 45 minutes ago. <laughs> right, that's like I've seen worse speeches than that in Braveheart. That was, let's, that let's, was something. Let's, 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 let's be positive. Let's be positive. Let's, uh... Well, that hasn't inspired you to come along to the game. Then, uh, Sam, you're not working for the ticket office, are you? Oh, maybe, maybe <laughs> helping people get through the gates. They <laughs> need more help with it. <laughs> you don't want to be that person, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Um, let's just do. Let's go into this bit of the meaty part of the podcast and say score prediction time. All right, and then we actually got sorry, just a butt in on the on the thing. We actually have to duck back quickly and finish off the bit we were saying before he joined because we actually stopped it part way through. So we need to just quickly dip into the last comments. But score prediction time, Andy. Sam was, you know, resoundingly positive, and we're going to hear about his seven-one uh, drumming. He thinks is going to happen uh, in a minute. But what is your score prediction and goal scorers for the game on Saturday against Sunderland? I think the only time I've ever been on here and predicted a Pompey loss in the last couple of years was the cup game against Southampton. So I'm not going to do it. I don't like setting precedents. I will be thrilled if we can come away with a one-all draw. That's my prediction. Um, I'm. I'm going with, yeah, we'll get a point. It'll be a fairly positive point and hopefully we'll kick on from there. The Jack, the Jack Ross special. You, you're hoping Sunderland bring that back. The one Exactly one that. I want to see the Jack Ross special on Saturday at Fratton, absolutely. To start a run of 16 1-1 draws for the rest of the season for Streaky Lee. <laughs> you never know, Andy, you never know. <laughs> Halfway positive with Sam. And Freddie, are you going to bring a ray of sunshine to the listeners' ears about a positive performance on Saturday and Pompey turning over Sunderland? Well, I think from memory, on the Roker report, I said a 1-1 draw, but I can't remember if that's right or not. I think you predicted and that Burton win. game. I, I literally can't remember, to be honest with you. It was that was before the Burton draw. game, Fred. So it was before the Burton game. Yeah, with The Burton game scarred me, to be brutally honest with you. And the off-the-pitch stuff hasn't helped. I don't see it. I really don't see it. I think we're going to lose 2-1, unfortunately. Michael Sarnas will get a consolation, but I don't see us winning that game. He's gone for a loss at home. Obviously, I want to to be wrong, obviously. I'm wrong all the time about Pompey. So hopefully I am about this, but I really don't see it. I really don't. I think I've predicted a loss before. I predicted losing 3-0 to Sunderland last season uh, when they came to Fratton. They nearly did. I've I've done the same, Fred. I've also predicted some losses. I'm going to be in your boat here, mate. I think we're going to lose 3-1. I'd like to be proved wrong, but looking at the way at the moment we're, pl- we're playing leaking goals against Sunderland, who are doing well scoring goals, they look pretty solid at the back as well. I, I could see us going for it a little bit, having good possession play. You know, it, obviously we can score goals, but I just can't see it at the moment. It clicking in time for this game on Saturday, and hopefully I'm wrong. Freddie's wrong. Sam and Andy are a little bit more on the boil and the boys turn up. I'd love, I'd love nothing more than to see Danny Cowley just blast the lads, change their mentality. Suddenly they come out and realise that how poor we've been 
and how they need to change it up. I just don't think we've got the personnel. Ogilvy comes back in, maybe that makes a difference at the back there. I think then maybe, oh, who, do you, who do you even take out for him? Do you take out Williams or Freeman? Or I think Williams has to go out the back. He's just... It's just not mobile enough as the first thing, I think, to play centre-back as well as not, not even being a defender. So that could be positive. I'm going to go with a 3-1 loss and I'm going to go with a goal chipped in um, from Ronan Curtis. Right. That's it. There's no other bits and bobs I need to talk about right now, lads. So until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.